Hello and welcome to another episode of Covenant and Conversation with me, Rabbi Sachs. In each new episode, we'll explore a Jewish idea from the Hebrew Bible based on the Torah reading of the week. Evolution or revolution? There are, it's sometimes said, no controlled experiments in history. Every society, every age, every set of circumstances is unique. If so, there's no science of history. There are no universal rules to guide the destiny of nations. And yet it's not quite true. The history of the past four centuries does offer us something close to a controlled experiment. And the conclusion is surprising. The modern world was shaped by four revolutions. The English, 1642 to 1651 the American, 1776, the French, 1789, and the Russian, 1917. Their outcomes were radically different. In England and America, revolution brought war, but led to a gradual growth of civil liberties, human rights, representative government, and eventually democracy. On the other hand, the French Revolution gave rise to the reign of terror between September 5th, 1793 and 28th of July, 1794, in which more than 40,000 enemies of the revolution were summarily executed by the guillotine. The Russian Revolution led to one of the most repressive totalitarian regimes in history. As many as 20 million people are estimated to have died unnatural deaths under Stalin between 1924 and 1953. In revolutionary France and the Soviet Union, the dream of utopia ended in a nightmare of hell. What was the salient difference between them? There are multiple explanations. History is complex. It's wrong to simplify. But one detail in particular stands out. The English and American revolutions were inspired by the Hebrew Bible, as read and interpreted by the Puritans. This happened because of the convergence of a number of factors in the 16th and 17th centuries, the Reformation, the invention of printing, the rise of literacy and the spread of books, and the availability of the Hebrew Bible in vernacular translations. For the first time, people could read the Bible for themselves. And what they discovered when they read the prophets and the stories of civil disobedience like that of Shifra and Pua, the Hebrew midwives, was that it's permitted and sometimes even necessary to resist tyrants in the name of God. The political philosophy of the English revolutionaries and the Puritans who set sail for America in the 1620s and 1630s was dominated by the work of Christian Hebraists who based their thought on the history of ancient Israel. The French and Russian revolutions, by contrast, were hostile to religion and were inspired instead by philosophy. The French Revolution by Jean-Jacques Rousseau and the Russian by Karl Marx. There are obvious differences between philosophy and Torah. The most well-known one, of course, is that one is based on revelation, the other on reason. Yet I suspect it wasn't this that made the difference in the course of revolutionary politics. Rather, it was in their respective understandings of time. Parashat Bahar sets out a revolutionary template for a society of justice, freedom and human dignity. At its core, 
is the idea of the Jubilee, whose words proclaim liberty throughout the land unto all the inhabitants thereof, are engraved on one of the great symbols of liberty, the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. One of its provisions is the release of slaves. If your brother becomes impoverished and is sold to you, don't work him like a slave. He shall serve you until the Jubilee year, and then he and his children shall be free to leave you. Slavery, in other words, is wrong. It's an assault on the human condition. To be in the image of God means to be summoned to a life of freedom. The very idea of the sovereignty of God means that he alone has claim to the service of humankind. Those who are God's servants may not be slaves to anyone else. As Yudah Halevi put it, the servants of time are servants of servants. Only God's servant alone is free. At this distance of time, it's hard to recapture the radicalism of this idea, overturning as it did the very foundation of religion in ancient times. The early civilizations, Mesopotamia, Egypt, were based on hierarchies of power seen to inhere in the very nature of the cosmos, just as there was a set of ranks and gradations among the heavenly bodies and among the animal kingdom, so there were on earth. The great religious rituals and monuments were designed to mirror and endorse these hierarchies. At the heart of Israel was an idea almost unthinkable to the ancient mind. The God intervenes in history to liberate slaves. That's that the supreme power is on the side of the powerless. Yet the Torah doesn't abolish slavery. That's the paradox at the heart of Parshas Baha. To be sure, it was limited and humanized every seventh day. Slaves were granted rest and a taste of freedom. In the seventh year, Israelite slaves were set free. If they chose otherwise, they were released in the Jubilee year. During their years of service, they were treated like employees and not subject to backbreaking or spirit-crushing labor. Everything dehumanizing about slavery was forbidden, yet slavery itself wasn't bad. Why not? If it was wrong, it should have been annulled. Why did the Torah allow a fundamentally flawed institution to continue? It was Moses Maimonides in the Guide for the Perplexed who explained the simple truth that it is impossible in human affairs, in nature, to go from one extreme to another. It is therefore, according to the nature of man, says Maimonides, impossible for him suddenly to discontinue everything to which he'd become accustomed. So God didn't ask of the Israelites that they suddenly abandon everything they'd become used to. In miracles, God changes nature, but never human nature. There's no sudden change from extreme to extreme in human nature and human history. God wanted humankind to abolish slavery, but by their own choice in their own time. Slavery as such wasn't abolished in Britain and America until the 19th century, and in America not without a civil war. The challenge to which Torah legislation was an answer is how can you create a social structure in which of their own accord people will eventually come to see slavery as wrong? and freely choose to abandon it. The answers lay in a single death stroke. To change slavery from an ontological condition, that's who I am, to a temporary circumstance, that 
is a situation in which I find myself, now but not forever. No Israelite was allowed to be treated or see himself or herself as a slave. They might be reduced to slavery for a period of time, but this was a passing plight. It was not an identity. Aristotle, by contrast, thought that there are people who are simply born to be slaves. It's what they are as a fact of birth. Some for Aristotle are born to rule, others to be ruled. That is the viewpoint to which the Torah is opposed. There are profound differences between philosophy and Judaism, and one lies in their understandings of time. For Plato and his heirs, philosophy is about the truth that is timeless. For Hegel and Marx, it's about historical inevitability, the change that comes regardless of the conscious decisions of human beings. Judaism is about ideals like human freedom that are realised in and through time by the free decisions of free persons. That's why we're commanded to tell the story of the Exodus to our children every Pesach, so that they too taste the unleavened bread of affliction and the bitter herbs of slavery and learn in the fullness of time that slavery is wrong. The Torah is based, as its narratives make clear, on history, a realistic view of human character and a respect for human freedom and choice. Philosophy is often detached from history and a concrete sense of humanity. Philosophy sees truth as system. The Torah tells truth as story. And a story is a sequence of events extended through time. Revolutions based on philosophical systems fail because change in human affairs takes time and philosophy has rarely given an adequate account of the human dimension of time. Revolutions based on Tanakh succeed because they go with the grain of human nature, recognising that it takes time for people to change. The Torah didn't abolish slavery, but it set in motion a process that would lead people to come of their own accord to the conclusion that it's wrong. That it did so, albeit slowly, is one of the wonders of history. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening. You can download a written version of my commentary and explore all my additional content by visiting www.rabbisax.org. This year, we also have an accompanying family edition of Covenant and Conversation aimed at connecting children and teenagers with these ideas and thoughts. For a family edition discussion sheet on this week's parasha, please go to www.rabbisax.org slash cc family edition.